everyone, and welcome to The Gold Standard. I'm your host, Asher Berkson Gold. This podcast is designed to be an all-purpose show, covering many different topics, ranging from music, movies, sports, world news, and even politics. This show is meant to bring up ideas, incite thoughtful discussion, and just be a place to have fun and talk about what's going on in the world. Most of what you will hear is stream of consciousness, which is funny considering the very first thing you're hearing was written prior to recording. I would like to start off by peeling back the curtain and letting you know my thoughts on creating this podcast. I want to make it a goal to be transparent with you, the listener, and let you know what I'm thinking. I'm not going to preach nonsense or hide the truth from you. I want you to be able to feel comfortable and hopefully enjoy what you're listening to. However, I won't shy away from dropping hot takes or incredibly bold predictions, both of which I'm accustomed to doing. I used to do radio and really enjoyed talking to people, having meaningful interviews, and sharing a thoughtful discussion, and I hope to achieve that on this podcast. I would like to also mention that it's a work in progress with many different types of segments and interviews rotating throughout. I will be trying a lot of different things with a lot of different ideas and show lengths just to give you, the listeners, a variety of sounds and things to listen to, while also allowing for creativity to flow forth without putting the show in a box or having to fill certain time parameters. However, I would like to mention that the show still has structure, and I might down the line find a rhythm and balance to what I like to do, and how the show will be run. I just am working out the kinks initially, getting my feet wet, and seeing what works and what doesn't, like what any podcast does. I'm somewhat unsure of what I'm doing, but I'm going along for the ride, and I hope that you join me. But this also serves as a form of therapy for me. During this age of isolation and social distancing, it feels nice to get my thoughts out there, say what's on my mind, to feel heard, and maybe even get the ball rolling and start conversations down the road with some of you. Look, I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, and listening to another guy talk about his thoughts on the world sounds like just another one of those dime-a-dozen podcasts being released into the universe. But I just hope that you give this podcast a chance, and let me know what you think of it. I want to thank you for listening, and if you're just passing through, thank you as well. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. The first segment I'm going to be doing on my show is called Hot Singles in Your Area, which is about, yes, you've guessed it, hot music that's been released recently that really stirs up a conversation. Uh, Today's topic is a little bit in the past, however, I feel like it's necessary since Drake has released music recently, decent song, Laugh Laugh Now, Cry Later. Uh, It would be, I think, important to discuss Uh, a song that he did a few months ago, and comparing that to another song that I felt took uh, the pandemic and really touched on the situations that we were dealing with as a society and really touched and struck a chord with uh, what people are going through compared to what Drake did. Um, There might be a few hot takes in here, but I think that... During this time of the pandemic, a lot of people have been sad, rightfully so, uh, isolated, um, lacking that connection with other people, uh, and I think it's been important to uh, find that music that really vibes with you, that really agrees with you, that really makes you feel uh, connected and heard. Uh, which is why I really think one of the best singles of this year is actually uh, two singles uh, released by one of my favorite artists. Uh, you know Frank Ocean. Uh, and Frank Ocean released two uh, singles to streaming services this year in early April 
called uh, Dear April and Cayendo. Uh, they're both very, very well done, very incredible songs. Uh, they were released last year as part of like a vinyl that uh, he ended up releasing, but uh, these are commercially available to everybody. Um, uh, so it's it's just really great that he could give this uh, this music to the world uh, for everybody to see uh, and hear. Um, but I'll get into that in a second. I really want to touch on, you know, the pandemic really struck a chord. Millions of people lost their jobs in the U.S. and around the world. It just, it devastated the world. Um, and Drake, who lives in Toronto, uh, you know, he's a Toronto kid. Uh, he, you know, is one of the richest musical artists out there. He's had more top 40 hits than the Beatles. I believe Tusi Slide actually made him get more top 40 hits than the Beatles. So, oh God. Uh, <laughs> but it is no secret that I do not like Drake. I don't think his music is that creative. I think it's kind of at times very um, boring uh, and... It's just kind of one of these situations that just shows that when you've made it this far, you don't really have to try anymore because you're going to get a number one hit regardless of what you do. So don't put the effort in. You don't need to put the effort in. You'll just get a number one hit. So that is what Drake did with, I think, one of his worst songs to date, and that is Tusi Slide. Um, now... Tusi Slide came out in early April, um, and was right off the bat, you know, it seemed like it was going to be a TikTok song, it seemed like it was going to be an instructional dance song, just based on the, the, um, instrumentation, and this very sleepy, relaxing sort of vibe it has in the instrumental, which, honestly, the backing beat is, is pretty fine, it's, it's not, that's not what really... Uh, gets me on this. But uh, yeah, I think Drake just wanted to really capitalize on the TikTok trends. He did it within my feelings a few years ago. And, you know, Drake hasn't really, he's been toying and teasing fans for like two years now. He hasn't released uh, a straight up quote unquote album in two years. He's released playlists with more life and and, uh, you know, Scorpion was his last big album, but he's been releasing, like, playlists, leaks, um, singles that have no real continuity. He's been releasing uh, the Dark Lane demo tapes, which just was agonizing to listen to um, for many reasons. But um, I, I just, yeah, and... One of the burgeoning singles that comes out of that is Tusi Slide. Um, and, you know, the song itself leaves a lot to be desired. The rapping is just really weak. I mean, the lyrics <laughs> to the chorus, if you want to call them lyrics, are instructional to a dance song, which I guess is fine. But, I mean he could have really tried harder than it go right foot up, left foot slide, left foot up, right foot slide. Basically, I'm saying either way we about to slide, can't let this one slide. So he rhymed slide with slide with slide with slide. So it, it just, it, it shows he has no 
real care of what he's doing, no real passion in his music anymore. Uh, the comparisons to Michael Jackson, again, are very evident. Clearly, I could dance like Michael Jackson. Uh, I could give you thug passion. It's a thriller in the trap. Where are we from? Ugh, I just don't understand why he's equating himself to Michael Jackson at this point in time. It's very eerie because in the Dark Lane demo tapes he did it again, and why would you, why would you outright claim to be like Michael Jackson? I, I get it for the fame purposes, but the notoriety of what Michael Jackson uh, allegedly exploited, um, you know, uh, sexually these uh, underage kids and this is exactly what drake has been um you know sort of in this murky territory he's been he's been grooming uh you know he's been he's been called out for grooming underage women and underage girls and it's just it's just agonizing but that's that's completely besides the point of what i'm trying to say here that is a completely it's that's another topic as a whole um, because I, I, I would love to get into that on another day, but, uh, for now, I want to talk about Drake's Tusi Slide, and I want to compare that to, um, Frank Ocean's Cayendo and Dear April, and I think the best way to compare them is through the music video that Drake released corresponding to the song's release, uh, and it, you don't really need to watch the music video at all, Really, all it is is a very high production music video of during the middle of a pandemic, Drake is dancing from room to room in his big mansion, showing it off MTV crib style in a in a mask. <laughs> and they're you know, it, it's it's stylized, but it it really just rubs me the wrong way. I feel like it's very insensitive. it's it's a little bit tone deaf. And don't get me wrong, I, I do really enjoy flex videos a lot. I think that when an artist can flex their wealth and flaunt their wealth, um, it, it does have a certain, you know, edginess to it. It does have a certain, um, uh, it does have a certain appeal to it, for sure. I, I think it definitely has an appeal. But I do think that in this context, Drake should not have done that at all. I, I don't think that he understands the amount of lives that were being lost coming into uh, releasing this video. I don't think he understood the amount of jobs that have been lost and the amount of livelihoods that have been lost and the amount of money that that families across the world have lost as a result. Um, and I, I just don't think that flaunting your wealth um, and releasing a song about flaunting your wealth and releasing a song about flaunting your wealth while wearing a face mask that kind of, in a sense, flips it on its head and kind of starting to... Um, it feels like it's throwing shade, uh, in a sense, and it just feels kind of tone-deaf to me. And also, everything's, you know, Nike-produced. Um, they, they have a Nike pan shot where they just show a, a Nike sneaker box. Uh, they got... You know, his face mask is is Nike uh, brand, so he shelled out for that, too. Uh, and it just seems incredibly bad. I, I, I don't know how to sugarcoat it. He made a um, tone-deaf video for 
a song that would be circulated throughout TikTok that would get him money, ultimately getting him a number one spot on the billboards. Um, and he really did nothing to the track, like <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, now, on the other hand, you have Dear April and Cayendo, and these two songs are perfect for the moment that it happened. They were released around early April, uh, right after COVID really took center stage across the world on a world stage. Uh, everybody was locking down, everybody was shutting their doors, everybody was scared, uh, isolated, uh, and really needed somebody to strike a chord with them, and I think that's what Frank Ocean did. Uh, Frank Ocean, uh, one of the best, in my opinion, storytellers out there, uh, especially when it comes to a man who has dealt with depression, still is dealing with depression, um, and has written music that circulates really well and resonates really well with a large audience, not just you know, for the words that he says, but also just uh, sonically is incredible to hear. Um, and he he released a song, he released two songs um, recently, Dear April and Cayendo. And I'd like to talk about Dear April first. I think that it is the, it's the A-side of um, the, the single. Um, and it, it has this very luscious guitar and it's really just acoustic. It's stripped back. It reminds me a lot of some stuff from Blonde. Uh, Self-control a little bit. Um, a, a little white Ferrari. A lot of Godspeed, honestly. Um, but that's not to say it's unoriginal. It is definitely original. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of parallels Drake's song a lot. Because it is... The lyrics are are not out there. They're not experimental. They're not really, um, they're, they're pretty simple. Honestly, the lyrics are, uh, you know, dear April, the only face in the crowd that I knew, dear April, are you watching this? Are you watching him dance? You know, it's, it's, it's telling a story. Uh, and then the chorus is if you could take two strangers leaning left and right at a certain place in time, like you took these strangers and our two strange lives and made us new and took us through and woke us up. Ugh, it, it is just heartbreaking because you can tell that this song meant a lot to him and you could tell that this song is about an unrequited love, which he is great at writing. Um, it's about a, a heartbreaking moment in his life. It's about love that... Uh, is, is gone now, a relationship that is um, broken and cannot be mended. Um, it, it's, it's something to behold. And it is a song that, as a listener, I can just put on play, lie on my bed, and just cry. And I think during this pandemic, especially early on during the pandemic, a lot of people needed that. I needed that. Um, and I needed the ability to cry. I needed the ability to feel heard for what I was going through. Um, and I think a lot of people resonated with this track. Uh, Cayendo is pretty much the same thing. It's it's a wonderful, wonderfully done story about um, uh, 
Frank and um, a, a a relationship, and he finds out that his lover has cheated on him, and how he goes about it. Um, you know, the core it's it's all sung in Spanish except for the chorus. Um, I am sad to say that I'm not good at pronouncing Spanish words, so I'm just gonna. Uh, sadly blow by those but the but the translations are incredible uh you know the 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 final line of the chorus is um uh, or the final line of of the verses are um if i can stand what i feel why am i falling (laughs) and it it, that is just wretched like heart-wrenching like if you can understand what's going on you know, if, if you know why you're feeling this way, why are you still feeling like you're in a free fall? Why can you not pick yourself up out of it? That is something that is very big when it comes to depression. A lot of people with depression feel that way. I know I have. Um, and and to, to put this into song is something very truly stunning, uh, very raw, very stripped back, very bare um, production, uh, but very well done. And, you know, the choruses are also really great. Uh, you stood me up. You laid me down. You know too much. I can't be proud. I still really, really love you. Yes, I do. When I still really, really love you, like I do. If you won't, then I will. If you can't, then I will. Is it love to keep it from you? I mean, it's just poetry. It's poetry in motion. Um, it's something that I truly think uh, is going to be a time capsule moment for this time during 2020 in this pandemic era. Uh, And, you know, we're going to look back on this time for a lot of reasons, historically, uh, mainly for how uh, our current administration has mangled uh, the coronavirus efforts and um, how, you know, how different countries across the world either came together, because most did, uh, to to fight this virus, um, which is noble and very great, uh, and the the countries that couldn't because either their people, uh, were 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 fighting against each other, or just didn't listen, um, and I think that kind of comes through with this song, and I think that also really big part of the COVID era is how we feel and how we are acknowledging our mental health, how we're recognizing it, how we're getting through it, how we're uh, trying to break through the isolation, uh, how we're trying to break through the, the loneliness, uh, and listening to a song like Kayendo and listening to a song like Dear April, such fantastically moving songs, uh, compared to watching... Drake flexing for five minutes during the early peak of a pandemic uh, where, you know, millions of people have lost their jobs and their homes and and need to work paycheck to paycheck, but the paychecks are not coming in. Um, it, it just doesn't seem like he's trying to care anymore. Uh, and I would much rather any day of the week listen to a Frank Ocean song than a Drake song, and this is definitely a big reason why. 
Hope you enjoyed that segment. Our next segment is called Hindsight Sports, and I want to give you a little bit of a backstory before we get into it. Um, a lot of sports talk shows deal with discussing, you know, playoff predictions and predictions about, you know, potential seasons and what's going to happen for teams. And, you know, it's a very typical talk radio situation. Uh, I decided to sort of flip it on its head, and this came a little bit accidentally. Uh, I've done a few interviews with people, um, with close friends, about sports, and specifically uh, the seasons that are happening right now and taking place right now. Um, However, those discussions uh, were recorded much earlier before these seasons actually started, uh, and it's now much later. So I figured I'd turn lemons into lemonade and produce a segment that encapsulates what we were thinking uh, back when the season wasn't even starting uh, and see how right or how wrong we are based on our predictions. Uh, This is called Hindsight Sports. Uh, This first um, segment, this first session of Hindsight Sports is being brought in by my guest, uh, Ian Decker. He is a good friend who loves to talk sports, and you can follow him around the circles. Uh, he's been doing work in the Washington sports uh, circuits. Uh, he has been working on the Washington Spirit uh, and the Mystics, and has even done a piece for the Boston Glory, the new AUDL team, the new Ultimate Frisbee team. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you give him a follow. I uh, hope you give him a listen. hope you give him a look. But without further ado, here we are talking about the MLB season. We recorded this on July 23rd or 24th. So I hope you enjoy. And welcome back, everybody, to the show. I am joined uh, on this by my very dear friend and uh, incredible person, uh, Ian Decker. How you doing, Ian? Hey, Ash. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk some baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, with uh, the pandemic and everything, uh, it has uh, brought us a lot, of, um, a lot of time indoors, and we've been able to spend a lot of time trying to, like, let's be honest, we've been pretty bored. Um, we've been trying to figure out how to do things. I've been reading books, which is very rare uh, for me. Uh, and but with this, uh, every sports league has been able to somehow come up with a plan to play. And I f- and we'll get into it. But um, this is this is uh, I I believe a breath of fresh air uh, when it comes to uh, something to actually watch on TV. You know. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Sean Doolittle the other day was talking about how sports seem to be the reward for a functioning society. And while the U.S. arguably still isn't there, it's really fun to have sports back, uh, not just baseball. The NBA is starting scrimmages again, and uh, the NHL is coming back soon. The NWSL just is finishing up their tournament on Sunday, and it's just great to have all these sports back. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's crazy because you'd expect – you know, at this point in time, uh, the NBA finals would have happened like a month ago and we'd have our clear winner. 
the offseason would just be kicking in. Uh, NHL, pretty much the same thing, um, right around late June. Um, and you have, you know, MLB is in the thick of it. They're, they'd be post-All-Star game. They'd be, like, getting into their stretch runs about now. So, um, but it's very funny considering that opening day is in July, uh, July 23rd and 24th this year, as opposed to in a very late March. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the NFL is the NFL. And of course they have problems going on in that league right now. Um, they don't, they're not following their health experts guidelines, which is very interesting to me considering, you know, their players are being put on the line and they, so that's a whole another issue, but um, you know, you are, you and I are very big baseball fans. Um, we, are we are, very, and we are very big uh, basketball fans. And I know you are very, very into hockey and soccer as well. Um, yes, so um, I would, yeah, I, I would much like to talk to you about um, our, every year we have the, I mean, for those who are listening at home every year, uh, Ian and I have a friendly wager, like a $5 wager um, as to um, our predictions for whatever sports league it is. Usually we do something, every year we do something surrounding the MLB. Sometimes we do uh, the NFL also. Uh, and yeah, we've done even the NBA playoffs once or twice, but um you know, seeing as baseball opening day is happening, um, it would be very nice to bring to you guys our thought process on uh, the predictions for this year's Major League Baseball season, this 2020 uh, cluster. I, 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 days? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to call it. Is it going to be like good chaos is it chaotic good i don't for some good chaos yeah yeah me too um i mean we can get into a lot um but i think um i think a good way to start is to talk about what we expected of you know these teams going into what we expected to be opening day which was in early april late march so um before you know sports were closed down and everything there was a lot of hope in the air for certain teams and there was a lot of uh, moving parts and questions about uh, who's a contender who's rebuilding who uh, is just using that year to analyze talent um, who's in like a a middle ground and now that uh, everything is condensed to 60 games it, it changes it because everything is just so completely up for grabs, right? Right. Each game almost is is worth more than twice as many as it would be in a normal season. So, you know, each, you know, relievers can come in more frequently. With the universal DH, you have power hitters, guys like a Cespedes, who are, you know, have had injury issues in the past, who can have more at-bats. So I expect a real slugfest. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so this is the first time that uh, my listeners will hear this as I will be saying this on this show very frequently. I am a diehard Mets fan uh, and Ian is. A... I, I have to go with the hometown of Washington Nationals, 2019 World Series champions. Yes. Uh, and as much as I 
despise the Nationals. I do have to really respect their run uh, and all they did to get there after a 19 and 31 start last year. They picked it up, incredible turnaround. And then, I mean, I just, what they did against the Dodgers in game five and then how they, yeah, and then how they completely blanked the uh, Cardinals, Cardinals, swept them in the NLCS. That was ridiculous. And then, and then just an incredibly amazing World Series where they faced a very good team that on top of that was found out for cheating and they still beat that team. That's ridiculous to me. In four road games too. Yes. It's, uh, well, you know, we, we've had a lot of back and forths over the year about, you know, as uh, National League East rivals, but uh, yes. it means a lot to hear that. And they, they did have a, an amazing run. It's really hard to hate them. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, as a, as a diehard Mets fan, it's really hard to find uh, a hatred towards a team because honestly, the Braves aren't that hateable right now. I think they're fine. Uh, and I think it's the Phillies for me. Yeah, I still, I still, the Phillies, just, Phil, just Philly fans in general. And, and of course, Bryce Harper, that just stinks as a Nats fan. So I'm, I'm not too high on the, on the Phils. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so let's get into our predictions here. Um, so coming out of what was expected to be spring training into the actual major league season in late March, I feel like there are some clear favorites. Um, did you have any in mind, maybe if the season was 162 games as opposed to 60? In terms of yeah, clear favorites? Yeah, I mean, and, and some of those have, have stayed the same. I was looking at teams. You look at the Dodgers getting Mookie Betts. Uh, you look at the Yankees. I think that's one team that really helped. the COVID really helped them in terms of their injuries. I think another team that really benefited with the Astros. Because without any fans in the stadiums, all their, you know, quote-unquote, away games, no one's going to be heckling them. And it's, I think it's going to be a much less hostile environment. Um, so those were kind of the three teams that, that I was really looking at. I, I sure hope that sports fans do not forget in 2021 and just let them have it. Even if, they're, even if some of the players are gone, just Please. boo those players. Find a way to boo those players. They wholeheartedly deserve it. Uh, that's, you know, uh, we like to be positive on this show, but for <laughs> the anger that they inflicted on the entire baseball, uh, scope, the entire baseball landscape, uh, it's, uh, it's very warranted. Um, but yeah, very good choices. Very good. Um, very good, uh, an- analyzing analysis. Uh, and so let's, let's get into our 60 game predictions. I, we've been talking a little bit about the scope, um, but it, it's interesting because the rules specifically um, with the, you know, the National League DH, uh, the Universal DH, the second base uh, extra innings rule, uh, that's a really interesting one. There is a base runner on second at the start of each half inning, which is quite interesting um, in extra innings to speed up the games, the ability to call a game if it's rained uh, out and that game just counts automatically. It's not suspended. So these are a lot of things because they're trying to, to push it all together and get 60 games. And 
yet they also expanded the playoffs. So do you want to, do you want to explain that? <laughs> yeah, sure. So in, you know, as much of this season is in an unprecedented move last night, uh, Rob Manfred came out and announced that they would be moving from the traditional 10 team playoff format to a 16 team playoff format. And so now eight teams, seeds one through eight in each division, the top, the winner of each division will automatically, automatically qualify as will the second place team and then those next two best teams they can be they can come from the same division if they have the best two records or they can be two third place teams and then they'll line up in a traditional bracket format one through eight two through seven three six and four five the first round oh, there's a lot so bear with us in the first round the home team the higher seed will play all three games at home and the first, the first round of the playoffs will be three game, best of three game series. Once we move to the divisional series, it'll be best of five. And then the championship series and the world series will be back to their normal seven game series. So thank you for following along with all that, but means for more than half the teams in the league in the playoffs. Yeah. Do you have any opinion on that? Like specifically, <sighs> what are your thoughts I on that? I, I think it's, I mean, I get it. You know, it's, it's a way to get a lot, you know, to kind of recoup some of the money that they lost with the lack of fans. But I, I think it's a great idea. I think that, you know, in this unpredictable season, it, it gives, you know, who knows, could we see an eight seed sneak in there, right? Could we, you know, you never know. In a best of three game series, that eight or seven seed might sneak in there. I think we could see some Cinderella runs. I'm really excited just, you know, to have more baseball. Listen, I love college basketball, so seeing a Sweet 16-style thing is very, very comforting to me, especially with the, the lack of having a March Madness this year. Um, but at the same time, I, right now, I'm pretty against it. I think uh, for a myriad of reasons, I, I don't understand. Well, I get money-wise, but I don't understand why they're doing this. I get that they're trying to try it out in a year of complete just – trial runs on everything when it comes to new rules but um part of me just thinks that this delegitimizes the winner even more um the world series winner even more um so i i just don't understand it um that that's just me but i might come around to it ultimately uh it, it probably will be very fun when we get to the playoffs but right now it just seems a little bit uh odd that's all um totally fair uh, so let's um, let's discuss who we think is going to actually make the playoffs, and then let's see who we think is actually ultimately going to be the champion, um, and how much that weight that actually holds. Uh, let's so, do yeah. So going into let's start at uh, the American League. Let's start uh, going down the list. Let's go AL East. So who do you? think will come out of the AL East uh, as the division champions? Who do you think, if there's a possibility, can also make the playoffs based on this expanded roster? Who do you think? Yeah, yeah. So this, for me, this, this division is really, really top-heavy. You, you look at the O's and J's, two teams clearly rebuilding, and then you have the Yankees and Rays at top. And then there's a lot of question marks from the Red Sox. So for me, I have the Yankees winning the division, Rays – a close second. The Rays have a phenomenal team. I think a lot of people are going to be sleeping on them 
I have the Rays in second in the division, followed by the Sox, the Jays, and then the O's in last. I have a very close um, same prediction. Uh, I got the Yankees uh, coming out on top. I mean, I just don't see them not winning their division. They have one of the easiest schedules in baseball this year, especially with the new rule that they're playing locally. So they're only playing their division as well as the opposite um, the opposite league's same division. So they're playing the NL East. So they are playing games against the Marlins, Orioles, and Blue Jays. Uh, I, it's a Also, all of their players have come back from injury, like you just said. So I got them as one. I think the Rays are very good, and I think it's a testament to their pitching. However, on the other hand, they did trade away and let a few big bats walk. They, they let Avisel Garcia walk. Uh, they traded away Tommy Pham. So they don't have a big production when it comes to their offense. So they do have to rely on their pitching, but their pitching is some of the best in the league. So I will put them second there, and I think they will definitely make it to the playoffs. Um, I really love the Blue Jays, and I think what they're going for is very smart. I think they need a few years to actually become dominant because they need a real good pitching core. Um, but uh, the signing of Ryu, uh, getting Anthony Kay uh, in that trade for Stroman, um, and, you know, they have they have a lot of good baby bombers. They got a lot of good baby Blue Jays. They got Vlad, Vlad Jr., uh, Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette. Really, really great trio right there. Danny Jansen's also a pretty good catcher. Um, so I think with this new announcement of, uh, expanded playoffs, I think they might sneak in and get the eight seed. I, I honestly do. I honestly do. So I think they're going to be three. Uh, and then the Red Sox, I think, I don't, I think they traded Mookie Betts away and I don't think they have really any outlook this year. Um, I think they're pretty sad. (laughs) Uh, and, the, and the pitching has just been demolished. I think offensively, I mean, of course, you hate to lose bets, but, you know, Bogarts, Devers, Moreland, Benintendi, Jackie Bradley, J.D. Martinez, you have some guys who are, you know, I think could provide some pop in the middle of their order, but I think you're right. The pitching is just, I'm not too high on Boston. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that they also, in that deal for Mookie Betts, they traded away David Price. So, uh, I mean, you know, David Price isn't playing this year regardless because he opted out, but it's still a loss to the Red Sox. They, their, their pitching core is completely out of shape, uh, and compared to last year, I don't really ex- know what to expect. I, I, uh, and then finally, the Orioles, I mean – we can just throw that out there. I don't expect them to do anything. There's a possibility given 60 games in such a small sample size that they could catch fire, but they're no, (laughs) Uh, no. Especially with, you know, with Mancini, you know, undergoing, you know, treatment for, for cancer and, you know, they made away scope. It's just the team they're rebuilding. Yeah. I, I just want good for Chris Davis. Can they just actually like, can he hit a, the ball again? Can yeah, he, can, can he, he rewind that that home run spark he had? 
Yeah, can can he hit above two hundred for once? <laughs> Poor guy. I, I just I just really hope he hits above the Mendoza line because that would be sad if he if he continues to not. Um, I contract. Mean, yeah, so so let's go into the AL Central. This is an interesting one considering the offseason moves. Um, so take it away. What do you think? Who do you think really shines in this division? Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna take Minnesota. You look at the amount of homers they hit last season, and then you add a Josh Donaldson type player, getting up there in in years. But I think this offense is just again the addition of Donaldson. He had an amazing season with Atlanta last season, and I I just think that this team has for several years they've kind of faltered in the playoffs. I like them to take the division. Two, I'm really high on the White Sox. You look at this is the perfect blend of everything. They brought in Encarnacion. They brought in Grandal. You have younger players. You have the Tim Andersons. You know, they brought back Jose Abreu. Lucas Giolito, much to my dismay, is an all-star level pitcher, pitching really well. I think that the White Sox could make some noise. And then, and then you know, Royals and Tigers are clearly rebuilding. So I have the Indians slotting into that third-place spot in the AL Central. And then I have Royals and, you know, the, the poor Tigers. I, I think this is definitely just going to be get the young bats, some experience, and hope for the best kind of season. Yeah, that's a very good analysis, I'd say. I, I have the same exact order. I think that, yeah, I, I think the Twins are very good on offense. I think they, right behind the Dodgers, and then I believe the Angels might have the best lineup in baseball, but uh, the Dodgers are also incredibly stacked. I think, but behind the Dodgers and Angels, you cannot forget about the Twins lineup. I, they are so potent. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Jake Odorizzi just went on the DL or the IL, yeah. Um, so their pitching's a little bit weaker. However, they did get a pretty good bevy of starting pitchers. And then you got Taylor Rogers at the end of that bullpen. That's pretty stout, uh, pretty underrated bullpen. If you, uh, if you Tyler think about Clippard? it, yeah, they got Tyler Clippard. Uh, yeah. I mean, so they, they got, they got stuff. I think, I think they're definitely going to make it to the playoffs. I think first place is not that hard in this division because I think the only other really good team that could come out of this is the White Sox right after it. Uh, not to mention Luis Robert probably is going to win rookie of the year. So, yes. uh, Incredible <laughs> you know, you know, and Eloy Jimenez in the second year. So I, I just, you know, all that stuff, uh, same exact they order. They brought in Dallas Keuchel? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I just think Reynaldo Lopez too. I mean, I just a lot of a lot of pieces to that group. Mm -hmm. um, and then so then you go to the AL West um, and some interesting storylines in the AL West, especially considering the Astros uh, cheated, but they're not going to have to face uh, a lot of fan any fan interference for that matter. I really hope somebody in the ballpark <laughs> just finds a way to boo them, and it's like very audible, but. I cannot believe that's going to happen. Um, but uh, maybe in away games, they'll find the crowd noise to boo the players. Yeah, um, I would love it. Pump it in. Yeah, but uh, who do, what do you think the order is going to be in that one? Yeah, I mean, you even with all that, you still have to look at the Astros as, as the, the kings of this division. Losing pitcher in baseball 
one of the best pitchers in baseball. I don't assault any DeGrom fans out there, but losing Garrett Cole is, is, is a huge loss for them. And Jordan Alvarez, last year's Rookie of the Year for the AL, still hasn't reported. I think that'll be a hit. But again, you look at this team, you know, McCullers coming back. They still have Granke. I just think this team is, is too good to ignore. In the heart of that order, I mean, you have Guriel, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Brantley, Springer, Red. I mean, it's they still have the bats there. So I have the Astros at one. Two, I got the A's. I, you look at what the A's have done a couple years ago. Everyone loves, you know, the, the Billy Bean and all. But these guys have some hitters. Matt Chapman, Marcus Simeon, Chris Davis. I like what they've done, and and so I, I give them this two in the division. You and I have talked a lot about the A's. Look, you can't go wrong bringing in Anthony Rendon. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him, but and getting Otani back will help. I hope that he can re- rediscover his form. But the pitching, I mean, the pitching is is always what we come back to. I just don't think they have it. So I give them three. I think they'll be better than the Rangers and the Mariners. And that's what I got for the West. I I love that. Um, yeah, the Astros, I think, are still going to win the division. I, I don't see a way they're not. Um, also, again, given the scheduling, the Astros get to face the Mariners and the Rockies and the Giants. So, you know, pretty, pretty heavy hey, stuff. Bro. I mean, I know... I know the other teams get to as well, but like for a team that dominant to be able to have a good chunk of their scheduling facing those teams is pretty, uh, pretty great for them, which is very anchoring to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, the Astros, I think will be first. And then I, I got the Rangers being second. Um, I think take, Corey, take me through why I think Corey Kluber is going to have a big resurgence I think I think a lot of people doubt him, but the fact that he can pitch 12 games out of 60, a fifth of the games, and like that curveball can come back and bite you in the ass. And I just I, I know I know they got some, you know, they're going into a new stadium, and from what I've seen in summer camp, uh, it's it's a bandbox. It's a uh, it is it, a, it is not the most aesthetically pleasing. No, no, it's a barn. Um, and it's a band box and people are going to be hitting homers in there like crazy. But they do have Joey Gallo. Um, so I, I, I still think they have Elvis Andrews still. I, I, I see a lot that they can do. And let's not forget that Mike Miner and Lance Lynn got Cy Young votes last year. So that's not the worst top three pitchers. I was going to bring them up. Lance Lynn, quality, quality number one. Mike Miners, solid pitcher. And again, I agree. I think if you can have a resurgence from Dallas Keuchel, that's a great one, two, three punch. And again, shortened season, those guys are going to see a lot of games. Yeah. Um, Corey Kluber. But um, yeah, sorry. They're, they're, they, look, they look alike, honestly. I'm not faulting you. Uh, they're, I, I get them confused a lot. When I say well. Dallas Keuchel? That's on me. Yeah, Corey Kluber. <laughs> um, but third, I got the A's. I do think the A's are great, not to mention Sean Manaya, great pitcher, A.J. Puck, mm-hmm. uh, great prospect coming up. 
um, Sean Murphy's their catching prospect. If he adds his bat as well, that's just going to be an incredible lineup. Matt Olson also. Uh, Angels, I'm going to mirror exactly what you said. Uh, one of the best lineups in the league. Uh, not to mention Justin Upton's also there and how underrated he is as a player. Um, but yeah, Andrew Heaney's their starting pitcher. He's their, here's their opening day starter. And Otani um, is going to be pitching, but he, he was great his first year. But the question is whether or not a two-way player can actually sustainably like work uh, both sides of the ball really well. Uh, and sadly, he got injured his first season. So we haven't seen a quote unquote full season of him doing both very well yet. Um, and 60 and games season helps him. I, I think it helps him. Um, I think he can do much better, especially since he uh, didn't pitch last year. He was trying to nurse his injury, um, which is interesting that batting didn't hurt his shoulder uh <laughs> i didn't really understand the discerning qualities of that but um i think he can do well uh it really comes down to if he can't do it this year i just don't understand um i feel like they might have to put him in one spot more than the other uh i i don't like because i like the two-way player idea but i just don't think that a, i think in a 60 game season this is the perfect like sample size to see if it works or not. He's going to pitch 12 games and hit in like, you know, 45. So, you know, uh, is it going to work? I'm not sure. I hope so. Um, and then the Mariners, I just feel so bad for them because, you know, for a few years there, I thought they were going to make the wild card and actually make a run. But uh, it's just a shame, man. I'm so upset uh, with the Mariners. Uh, for how far they've fallen. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's go into our uh, numbering and our seating on that. Um, let's do it. Yeah, so you got, uh, I got in my order, I got the Yankees one, uh, the Twins two, the Astros three, the Rays four, the Rangers five, uh, the White Sox six. Um, the A's are going to be also in, in the uh, playoffs. Uh, so that I got them at seven and I got the Blue Jays sneaking in, which by the way is interesting because they're going to be playing most of their ball at Buffalo. They just announced at their triple A site. Yeah. It is a triple A ballpark. Um, so there are going to be a lot of home runs there, which I think will benefit Vlad and Bo, but also keep in mind their pitching is going to have to deal with the other hitters who come. So um who knows but that's my order um blue jays at eight what what do you got so i'm i'm a, i'm similar i have twins at one yanks at two astros three rays four a's five white Sox six indians seven with the red Sox rounding it out at eight okay nice i like that uh that's a good it's a good order welcome back everybody Really hope you enjoyed that. We'll be talking about the National League further down the road, so be sure to check that out. But without further ado, let's get into our predictions, see what we got right, what we got wrong, and see where each team is headed into the last week of the season. At the time of this recording, on September 21st, every team has played their games today, 
There is about a week left in the season, so let's see where everybody is. In first place, 36-19, and they've already clinched the playoffs, best record in the American League, are the Tampa Bay Rays. They're not really getting it done with their starting pitching. Blake Snell has had a good year, considering, I mean, he was the AL Cy Young in 2018. But they've been getting it done with their clutch hitting. Brandon Lowe, Kevin Kiermeyer, Willie Adamas, Joey Wendell, Mike Brasseau, and they've had a fantastic bullpen led by Nick Anderson with a .6 ERA, Pete Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, Aaron Loop. They've had 12 different pitchers record a save, and they're tied for the third best ERA in the American League. In second place, with a record of 34-20, and 20, are the Chicago White Sox. They've clinched a postseason berth for the first time since 2008. They are the best-hitting team in the American League. Jose Abreu leads the majors with 55 RBIs and is just short of Luke Voigt's home run record with 18 home runs. Tim Anderson has a 355 batting average. They have a Rookie of the Year favorite in Luis Robert, or Luis Robert, depending on how you pronounce his name. I think people pronounce his name multiple ways. They have James McCann, who's been providing a lot of pop off the bench. Eloy Jimenez has been really good in his sophomore year, and this team leads the AL in batting average, in slugging, in total bases, and they're second in home runs and runs scored and OPS. But it's also been in their starting pitching. They've had a great resurgence in their starting pitching. Lucas Giolito threw a new hitter this year. Dylan Cease has been good. Dane Dunning's been good. Dallas Keuchel's pitched to the tune of a 2.04 ERA. And they've had some key bullpen help. Evan Marshall, Matt Foster, Cody Hoyer, and Alex Colome with a ERA of .89. They've, he's had 12 saves, and they're also tied for third best ERA in the American League. They have a plus 72 run differential, which is the best in the American League, and they are third most in actually batting strikeouts, so they've struck out the third most in the American League, yet they have this incredible offense, and they are clinched going into the postseason. They have snapped a 12-year playoff drought, so congratulations to the Chicago White Sox. In third place, with a record of 33-20, and 20, are the Oakland Athletics. They've clinched the AL West for the first time since 2013. They've been three straight years in the playoffs, and they haven't really gotten it done with their hitting. They've had poor hitting, uh, mainly because Matt Chapman is out now for season-ending hip surgery. But Matt Olson has provided a spark, even though he's hitting under 200. He's hitting 192. He's had 14 homers and 42 RBIs, so he comes through in the clutch. But it's really their fantastic pitching core with Chris Bassett, Jesus Lazardo, and the best bullpen in the American League, led by closer Liam Hendricks with a 1.23 ERA, 13 saves, J.B. Wendelkin, Joaquin Soria, Hughes Mero Petit, TJ McFarland, Lou Trevino, Jake Diekman, who has a 0.00 ERA in 18 and a third innings pitched, an under one whip, and 26 strikeouts. Their bullpen ERA is 2.42, which is the fifth best ERA in the American League. It is the best bullpen ERA in the American League, and it totals to the fifth best ERA in the American League overall. In fourth place, with a record of 31 and 23, are the New York Yankees. They've clinched the playoffs. They've done it really through their hitting. I mean, do you expect anything else? 
They're great at hitting. DJ LeMahieu leads the league in batting average with 365. He leads the majors, I'm pretty sure, at this point. Uh, he has 10 homers, 24 RBIs, and a 1032 OPS. Clint Frazier has been great. Luke Voigt leads the majors with 21 homers. Gio Urshela has been great. They've won an 11 in a row at one point down this stretch, and they've been doing this with many injuries to their pitching. Uh, James Paxton's out for the season. Giancarlo Stanton's been hurt. Aaron Judge has been hurt. Glaber Torres has been hurt. It doesn't really matter. They've gone on a tear. Their starting pitching has been very good. Cole has been coming through. Garrett Cole late. Not as dominant as in 2019, but still very good pitching to a tune of a 3.00 ERA and 66 innings pitched, 87 strikeouts, .985 whip. J.A. Happ's been good. Masahiro Tanaka's been good. They've been also dominant. But bullpen-wise, it's been Zach Britton, 2.12 ERA with 8 saves. Luis Sessa's been good. Arolis Chapman's been good. Jonathan Loizaga's been good. Chad Green's been good. They've had the 6th best ERA in the American League. In 5th place, clinching the playoffs as well with a record of 32-22, and 22 are the Minnesota Twins. It's been a steep drop-off for them with their batting. They were the best batting team in the American League last year, leading the league in home runs, but this year they've kind of fallen off. Nelson Cruz, however, has not fallen off. He's in his age 40 season. He's batting 314, 16 home runs, 32 RBIs, 1026 OPS. He has struck out 53 times, but he has provided a great offensive spark for this team in his 40th year. Miguel Sano is batting 212 with 13 homers and 25 RBIs, 84 strikeouts, something to keep in mind. When they get into the playoffs, they seem to be an all-or-nothing team. Byron Buxton is having a breakout campaign with a 271 batting average, 12 homers, 25 RBIs. He's been getting it done in the field also, robbing home runs. He's an incredible player. A few inside-the-park home runs as well. Watch out for that guy. Uh, they are the third best in home runs in the majors this year, but they are the ninth best in runs scored, which is kind of surprising. So they haven't been really getting it done with their clutch hitting and their runners in scoring position, but they made up for it with really great pitching by Kenta Maeda. Great pickup in the offseason, 2.52 ERA and 60 and two-thirds innings pitched with 71 strikeouts and a major league best .758 whip. Second best in the majors, actually, behind Clayton Kershaw. And then Jose Barrios has been decent. Randy Dobnak had a great start to the year. He fell off a little bit, but he's been good. Rich Hill's been great. Michael Pineda's been great. Even though Taylor Rogers has not been a stalwart out of the bullpen, he's blown a few saves, and he is their closer. The bullpen is truly solid. They have Tyler Clipper, 2.78 ERA. Tyler Duffy, 1.69 ERA. Sergio Romo, 2.89 ERA with four saves. Matt Whistler, 1.11 ERA with 24 and a third innings pitched. Jorge Alcala with 2.91 ERA and Caleb Thielbar with a 1.69 ERA. They have the second best ERA in the American League at 32 and 22. In sixth place, at a 500 record, 27 and 27. But they are second best in the AL West. So that tells you something. Are the Houston Astros. They have fallen from grace. They are at 27 and 27. They haven't clinched a playoff spot yet. They probably will, considering the weak AL West. 
but they have really fallen off on their batting. Who knew that stealing signs would, you know, lead to better hitting? (laughs) The drop-off has been severe. They have the 10th best batting average in the American League. Yes, you heard that right. The 10th best out of 15 teams. They are 10th in OPS. They are 10th in home runs, 7th in runs scored, 12th in on-base percentage, 9th in slugging. They do have the fewest strikeouts, which is kind of interesting considering all the rest, but they have not been getting it done. And although Michael Brantley has been very good with a 311 batting average, 4 homers, 21 RBIs, 864 OPS, and only 26 strikeouts and 151 at-bats, beyond him, the second-best batting average is a 262 batting average with Kyle Tucker. George Springer is batting 253, 13 homers, 28 RBIs, 875 OPS, so he's kind of turned it around but Carlos Correa has struggled, Yuli Gurriel has struggled, it's really hit Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman the worst, though. Altuve has won batting titles in the past, and now he's batting 222 with three homers, 14 RBIs, a 290 on-base percentage, a 613 OPS with 36 strikeouts, and Alex Bregman was the AL MVP runner-up last year, and now he's batting 238. 349, 764 slash line, not great. Four homers, 17 RBIs. Pitching-wise, after Garrett Cole left, Justin Verlander's been out for the entire season, essentially, and now he needs Tommy John, so he's out for good. Zach Greinke is 36, and he is their basically their ace at 36, and there's no other starting pitcher that's older than 26, so that's good for the future of their team, but... They have kind of been pitching a little bit weak. Uh, 390 ERA, 62 and a third innings pitched for Zach Granke. Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers is struggling. Christian Javier has been the bright spot with a 333 ERA, 48 and two thirds innings pitched under one whip. And the bullpen has been kind of good. Ryan Presley's been okay with a 3.6 ERA, 12 saves, 20 innings pitched, 27 Ks. That's a 12.2 K per nine inning mark. Andre Scrub has been great with a 1.27 ERA and 21 and a third innings pitched. And then there have been other guys like Anoli Paredes, Blake Taylor, Luis Garcia. But I'd also like to point out that Josh James, a highly, tied, a highly touted prospect, has pitched to a tune of 7.71 ERA in 16 innings pitched with 19 Ks and almost a 2 whip, a 1.959 whip. Cy Sneed has over a 2 whip. Brooks Raley has a 4.20 ERA in 15 innings pitched. Nice. With an 800 whip. I'd like to point out. Uh, They have the sixth best ERA in the AL. They're fine. They're not great, but their batting average and their offensive lack of production has been pretty scary considering the drop-off, and it goes to show you that maybe they actually use that cheating to their advantage. Maybe they have fallen off on their hitting because, hmm, maybe trash can banging and the lack of it has a remarkable difference in whether you know whether the pitch is coming or not. So, yeah, that's the Houston Asterisks. I mean, the Astros, sorry. Um, So, yeah, that's them. And in seventh place, with a record of 30 and 24, are the Cleveland Indians. And they've been getting it done through a multitude of things. They've been doing it hitting wise, really clutch hitting as of late. 
Uh, Francisco Lindor has had a good season. Cesar Hernandez has been a good pickup out of Philadelphia. Franil Reyes has had a good season. So that trade worked out for them against the Padres. But really, it's come down to Jose Ramirez having an MVP caliber season. He's right now is batting 290, 376, 971 slash line, which is great. His OPS is 971. It's fantastic. But, uh, you know, he has 16 homers, 41 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. But in the last seven games, he's been on a tear. He has batted 448, 467, 1.069 OPS, 5 homers, 13 RBIs. He has been incredible for them. They have been walking it off as of late, really, really come around. And he's been in this MVP conversation for the past four years, and he's really showing it again. Um, but really, it's all been about their pitching. They have the best ERA in the American League overall with an ERA of 3.26. Even though they traded away Mike Clevenger to the Padres, they've still been getting great contributions from Aaron Savale with a 3.99 ERA, Carlos Carrasco with a 2.9 ERA, and 10.7 Ks per nine innings, coming off of a very scary battle with leukemia, but he fought it well, he beat it, and now he's pitching to an under three ERA. So congratulations to Carlos Carrasco. Zach Plesac, after a brush up with uh, with the Indians about breaking quarantine, and that's kind of part of the reason why Mike Clevenger was traded in the first place as well. They have... Zach Plesak has really come around. He has a 1.85 ERA, 0.781 whip. They brought in rookie Tristan McKenzie to try out, and he has been great. 3.68 ERA, 0.989 whip, 11 Ks per nine innings. They give up the fewest hits, fewest walks, fewest runs, most strikeouts, and there have been eight relievers who have pitched more than 10 innings. That's very few for them, so they've been getting it done with deep starting pitching. Uh, you know, Brad Hand's been great. Uh, after a rocky start to the season, he's been pitching to a tune of a 2.41 ERA, 14 saves, 0.911 whip. Uh, James Karinchak, 2.52 ERA. Nick Whitgren, 2.91 ERA, 8.831 uh, whip. Oliver Perez, at age 38, in his 18th season, has pitched 15 in the two-thirds innings pitched, 1.72 ERA. 1.021 whip and one save, but it's really, you know, Shane Bieber. He has had a Cy Young season by a mile. He is 8-1, and one with his, which is the most wins. 1.74 ERA leads the majors. 72 and a third innings pitched. That's fourth most in the majors. 112 strikeouts that leads the majors. 0.857 whip. That is third in the majors. 0.171 opponent's batting average that's fifth best and second best in the AL 13.9 Ks per nine innings yes you heard that right there are two guys with 70 plus innings pitched three with 60 innings pitched and three guys with a whip under one in their starting rotation there are three guys with 10 K 10 or more Ks per nine innings in their starting rotation Shane Bieber could be an MVP candidate as well. Jose Ramirez is looking like a serious MVP candidate, so watch out for the Indians come playoff time if they clinch it. They are a very good team, and right now they're third best in the AL Central. That that uh, that division is looking really, really good right now, so watch out for them. 
in eighth right now in the eighth spot, which is the last spot for the playoffs, with 28-26 and 26 record, are the t- Toronto Blue Jays. I nearly said the Buffalo Blue Jays, considering that they've been playing in Buffalo, but they've been getting it done. And I actually did predict this one as of now. I said the Blue Jays would sneak in with the eighth spot, and right now they are. And it's been coming from... Really great batting, their third in batting average, fourth in home runs, fifth in runs scored. And it's come from Kevin Biggio and Vlad Jr. progressing. And Bo Bichette, for when he's been on the field, he's been injured. But he has come back, and he's batting to a tune of 311, 330, 544, 874 slash line, five homers, 19 RBIs. Randall Grichik's Randall been good. Rowdy Telez has been good. Lourdes Gurriel, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., sorry for the slip-ups, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Ulieski's brother, has been batting 295, 340, 516, 856, slash line, 10 homers, 30 RBIs, 22 extra base hits, and 3 stolen bases, and it's really been Teoscar Hernandez, who's batted 310, 357, 632, 988, 16 homers, 32 RBIs, 23 extra base hits, 5 stolen bases. Pitching-wise, some acquisitions have worked. Hyungjun Ryu has been really great. 60 innings pitch, 3 ERA, 10.2 Ks per 9. He has had a very great strikeout-to-walk ratio with a 4.53 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Taiwan Walker from the Mariners that they got tr- they traded for, 23 and a third innings pitched, 1.54 ERA and 5 starts. Some really haven't. Some acquisitions have really fallen flat. You have really bad years from Tanner Roark. Uh, 6.41 ERA, 1.754 whip in 39 and a third innings pitched and nine games started. Chase Anderson has pitched uh, 7.45 ERA, 1.724 whip, 29 innings pitched and seven games started. Matt Shoemaker, 4.71 ERA. Ross Stripling, 7.36 ERA and a 1.909 whip. Uh, the bullpen has kind of taken a downturn recently. But they excelled really early, and that's kind of been their strength. They did lose Ken Giles for the season, but Anthony Bass has been pretty good. 3.42 ERA, 6 saves, .930 whip. Rafael Dolis has pitched 22 and two-thirds innings for a 1.59 ERA, 28 strikeouts, 11.1 strikeouts per nine innings, four saves. AJ Cole, 3.38 ERA. Ryan Barucki, 2.93 ERA. 11.7 Ks per nine, 20 Ks in 15 innings pitched. Tom Hatch, 2.66 ERA in 23 two and two-thirds innings pitched. Jordan Romano, 1.23 ERA in 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. 21 Ks, 12.9 Ks per nine, 0.886 whip. They are a decent team, but they're teetering a little bit. They're a team that was once fifth in the AL in the ERA, but they're now 10th, so it's something to look out for. Hopefully, my prediction is correct because I don't like being wrong, uh, and they make it into the playoffs. But that is the Blue Jays and every other team. They have a convincing lead over the rest. Right now, I believe the Mariners, who are in ninth place, are four games behind the Blue Jays. So it's looking like it's going to be kind of tough to come back with a week to go. Um, But I will talk about the rest of the teams right now. You have right now... The Seattle Mariners, who have been okay, you know, they're not great, Uh, 24-30 and record. They weren't expected to compete this year, so 
you know, the major bright spots that they've had, like Kyle Lewis's Rookie of the Year campaign, 278, 383, 853 slash line, 11 homers, 28 RBIs. Evan White, interesting note, signed a five-year extension. He's batting 161 with a 613 OPS, so that was a bad uh, move as of now, at least. Uh, Marco Gonzalez has been great, 3.06 ERA, 64 and two-thirds innings pitched, 0.912 whip. Justice Sheffield's been good from getting him from the Yankees, uh, 3.75 ERA and 50 and a third innings pitched. Justin Dunn has a 4.20 ERA, nice, and 40 and two-thirds innings pitched. Johan Ramirez has been great in the bullpen, 2.41 ERA, three saves, 18 and two-thirds innings pitched, 24 strikeouts, 11.6 Ks per nine innings. And Joey Gerber's been good. Yoshihisa Hirama's been good. But, you know, this team wasn't expected to go anywhere. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. But they have some bright spots. They have some bad moments. But they just got to take the good with the bad and see what happens next year, probably, as of now. But right now, they're third best in the American League West. So that is something. In 10th place in the American League, and in fourth place in the American League West are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They have a 24 and 31 record. And they have one of the best lineups in baseball, as I said earlier. They have Anthony Rendon, they have Mike Trout, they have players who were great back in the day Justin Upton, Albert Pujols. They have a promising young rookie in Joe Adele. But, you know, some of the guys haven't been producing. Anthony Rendon has the best war in the Angels lineup with a 277, 413, 910 slash line, nine home runs, 31 RBIs, 21 extra base hits. Mike Trout is fifth best in war on the team. Can you believe that? Uh, 291, 392, 614, Slash line, 16 homers, 43 RBIs, 27 extra base hits, 40 runs scored. And Albert Pujols did pass Willie Mays on the all-time home run list, but Joe Adele's not really producing in 125 at-bats. He has a 154, 208, 256, 464 slash line. It's pretty gross, pretty abysmal. Three homers, seven RBIs. Shohei Otani, who I thought would be great hitting-wise, hasn't really done either. Uh, I talked about his sustainability problems and how that might come to rear their ugly head, and they did. He was shut down after pitching two starts this year with a combined stat line of one and two-thirds innings pitched, three hits, seven earned, eight walks, three strikeouts, one wild pitch, 37.80 ERA, 6.600 whip, 16 and two 16.2 Ks per nine innings, but 16.2 hits per nine innings, 43.2 walks per nine innings. I know, sorry. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't good. Shut down from pitching for the rest of the year. The walks were just a glaring issue, and he could not get anybody out. Uh, and hitting-wise, he's been not great either. Uh, maybe he's turning it out around as of late. Maybe he's turning it around as of late, but... He was batting in 161 at-bats. He has been batting 193, 298-662 slash line. Again, 193, 298-662 slash line. That's not good. Six home runs, 22 RBIs, seven stolen bases, which leads the team, but 45 strikeouts as well. 
They've had good performances by Entrelton Simmons, who decided to opt out with six games left, no harm, no foul, uh, after battling um, and having a pretty good season. 297, 346, 702, been great defensively, 10 RBIs. Max Stasi had a pretty good season for a catcher, 256, 344, 806, five home runs, 17 RBIs. David Fletcher's been great, 314, 374, 795. In 185 at-bats, he's had three homers, 15 RBIs, 14 extra base hits, 30 runs scored. They traded for Tommy Listella and Brian Goodwin. Uh, they, they've traded Tommy Listella and Brian Goodwin, actually, two of their best bats in the lineup. They have three batters in the starting lineup with a batting average under 200. Justin Upton has been putrid, batting 206. Uh, they've had good performances in their pitching core by Dylan Bundy, 3.29 ERA and 65 and two-thirds innings pitched, and Andrew Heaney's been fine, 4.02 ERA and 62 and two-thirds innings pitched, Jaime Barrios, 3.26 ERA and 30 and a third innings pitched, and Mike Myers has been great, 1.67 ERA, 27 innings pitched, 0.741 whip, 39 strikeouts, 13 Ks per nine, Felix Pena, 3.70 ERA, Noe Ramirez, 3.32 ERA, Camber Ocean, 2.84 ERA, but very bad performances from some of their pickups, like Julio Teheran coming over from Braves, 9.49 ERA and 30 and a third innings pitched, 17 Ks, 1.681 whip, 12 home runs. Patrick Sandoval, 6.10 ERA. Ty Buttry, who was the closer, 6.04 ERA, 25 and a third innings pitched, four blown saves out of nine attempts, so he's made five saves, five for nine. Jacob Barnes, 6.60 ERA. Hansel Robles, who last year had an ERA of 2.48 and 72 and two-thirds innings pitched. This year, he has a 10.43 ERA with 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. Last year, his whip was 1.018. This year, his whip is 1.841. And they have the 12th best ERA in the American League. And it goes to show you that their bullpen's been very sloppy. Some of their starting pitching has been very bad. Uh, even though they have some decent hitters, they really can't get out of their own way, and that's why they're 24-31 and 31 and 4th in the AL West. In 11th place are the Baltimore Orioles at 23-31. and 31. Hey, they lost 100 games last year. They were not a good team, and they're not really a great team this year, but they have still improved. They've had breakout years from Ryan Mountcastle in the 122 plate appearances. He's been batting 330. 385, 514, 899 slash line, 5 homers, 21 RBIs, 11 runs scored. Jose Iglesias has probably been their best bat. Yeah, I know, surprising. Uh, 138 plate appearances, 377, 406, 515, 921 slash line, 16 extra base hits, 21 homers, 13 runs scored. Renato Nunez has been good. Anthony Santander has been good. Travis Lakins coming out of the bullpen has been good. Paul Fry, Tanner Scott has pitched a 1.33 ERA in 20 and a third. Cesar Valdez has pitched a 1.35 ERA in 13 and a third with a .750 whip and no homers given up. Sean Armstrong's been great. Uh, but none of their starters have an ERA below 4.50. And the only one who did, Tommy Malone, was traded to the Braves. And so were Miguel Castro to the Mets and Michael Gibbons, who had a great season, to the Rockies. Their initial closer, Cole Sulser, has a very bad ERA, 22 innings pitched, 5.73 ERA, 5 saves, 3 blown saves, 1.545 whip. And Chris Davis, I'm giving you the Chris Davis update, 55 plate appearances, 
115, 164, 173, 337 slash line, no homers, three doubles, one RBI, three walks, and 17 strikeouts. Uh, he's been injured with knee tendonitis. He's owed $34 million over the next two years. He's under the contract until the end of the 2022 season. And he, smart move, deferred over $42 million from 2023 to 2037. This is a team with the third-best batting average in the American League. They've been making some strides, but their pitching is still very bad in a lot of spots. And they need to make more strides in order to be competitive next year. In 12th place are the Tigers at 22 and 30. They were initially in the wild card hunt, but fell off hard. Uh, some good stats uh, by Heimer Candelario: 204 plate appearances, 301, 373, 508, 881 slash line, seven homers, 29 RBIs, 21 extra base hits, 30 runs scored. Willie Castillo, uh, Willie Castro. Uh, 129 plate appearances, 339, 375, 534, 909 slash line, five homers, 20 RBIs, 11 extra base hits, 18 runs scored. Miguel Cabrera has been good, um, but injuries to Jonathan Scope, Jacoby Jones, CJ Crone has been pretty uh, devastating for them. And besides a really good turnout by Spencer Turnbull, their pitching has been ghastly. Um, they have had very bad outings from Matthew Boyd, uh, Casey Mize, their rookie who was the number one pick has a 6.99 ERA. Uh, Tarek Skubal is bad. Michael Fulmer, who once won rookie of the year as an 8.17 ERA and the 1.974 whip. Avon Nova's on the 60 day IL and he has an 8.53 ERA. Jordan Zimmerman has started once after coming off of the IL with a right forearm strain, and he has pitched 4.2 innings pitched with a 9.64 ERA, 5 earned runs, 10 hits, 2 walks, and a 2.571 whip, uh, which is pretty bad. And yeah, they haven't really done anything. Joe Jimenez, their initial closer, has pitched 19 innings, 8.53 ERA, 5 saves, 1 blown save. The AL's worst, 5.70 team ERA. AL worst, only 416 strikeouts, bottom of every pitching category that there is possibly. And, you know, it's kind of amazing to see how, besides one good pitching outing, everybody else has just fallen flat. In 13th are the Royals at 22 and 32. They have not been that great. I didn't expect anything. On paper, they're not that bad. They are stealing a lot of bases, 43, and they've been caught stealing a lot. They're only 7th in the American League in batting average and 6th in hits. And, you know, they've had some decent uh, production, especially by Salvador Perez. 140 plate appearances, 356, 371, 667, 1.038 1.038 slash line, 48 home hits, 10 home runs, 29 RBIs, 12 doubles, 22 extra base hits, 21 runs scored, 175 OPS plus. Michael Franco has been good. Uh, Brad Keller has been great pitching um, and 2.77 the RA. Trevor Rosenthal had a resurgent year until he was traded to Padres. Um, and Greg Holland has had a resurgent year after being on the D-backs. He took over the closer role, flourished 1.91 ERA, under one whip, 6-for-6 six six in saves. Uh, they've had good production from their bullpen. Uh, Josh Stomont, Jesse Hahn, Ian Kennedy has been ghastly, though. 
Um, Jesse Hahn, I want to call that Jesse Hahn. He has pitched 14 innings to a tune of .64 ERA, one earned run, four hits, six walks, .714 whip. But Ian Kennedy has been very bad. 14 innings pitched, 14 earned runs. It's a nine ERA, 4.5 homers per nine innings, seven home runs given up. Uh, he's on the injured list right now. And Matt Harvey, who I was rooting very, very much for to come back and be the dominant pitcher he once was, is pitching. Uh, he, has forced, he has started four games, 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, 15 earned runs, 27 hits, five walks, 10 strikeouts, six home runs, 20.8 hits per nine innings, 4.6 home runs per nine innings, 7.7 Ks per nine innings, and a 2.743 whip. That is uh, not good. In 14th place, or second to last, I should say, are the Boston Red Sox. And these are the surprises. The Boston Red Sox, Ian thought, would sneak in there. Uh, and I see what he means by it, but looking at how the season has gone, you can clearly tell that they were trending in the wrong direction, and they are trending in the worst direction you could possibly think. They have their starting pitching rotation, which was so stout last year, consisted of now Chris Sale being out for Tommy John surgery, Rick Porcello walking for the Mets, Eduardo Rodriguez being uh, contracting COVID and resulting in an irregular heartbeat. Uh, so he's missed the entire season. David Price was traded to the Dodgers in the Mookie Betts deal, and he opted out. And so all they have is Nathan Neobaldi. And he's been pitching well. He has an under four ERA. He's been doing very decently, but uh, they have a run differential of negative 73, and that baffles me because the hitting is still there. They are first in batting average, but they have a run differential of negative 73, and they are third in on-base percentage slugging OPS, 329, 446, 776. First in at-bats, hits and doubles, 1937, 515, 115, and then total bases. They're in second, and sixth in runs scored, seventh in homers, but they also have the second-worst ERA in the AL with a 5.64 ERA, and they've also given up the most hits, runs, earned runs, home runs. In every category, they've been terrible. Um, I mean, what do you expect when all but one starting pitcher from last year is playing on the Red Sox this year? It's it's pretty, pretty explainable, I guess. And they've traded their best players. Mitch Moreland had a fantastic season. Uh, batting almost 1,200, and he got traded to the Padres. Kevin Pillar had a great season, but he got traded to the Rockies. Also traded were Heath Hembree, Brandon Workman, Josh Osich, so some of their big bullpen pieces, so their bullpen's gotten even worse. Alex Verdugo's had a great year, 323, 381, 500, 881. Slash line, six homers, 14 RBIs, 16 doubles, 22 extra base hits, four stolen bases, 35 runs scored. And Jackie Bradley Jr. has been good. Rafael Devers has been good. Xander Bogarts has been good. Christian Vasquez has returned to form. Kevin Plawecki's had a good year. Bobby Dahlbeck's had a great year, 960 OPS. Um, and, you know, Philip Valdez and Ryan Brazier. But... Ultimately, it really comes down to when they traded Mookie Betts or were they going to trade J.D. Martinez because they couldn't sign both. And they decided to trade Mookie Betts for Alex Verdugo and some other pieces. And Mookie Betts is looking like an MVP candidate in Los Angeles. And J.D. Martinez is batting 217 uh, and has an OPS of 682. And only six homers, 25 RBIs. He hasn't been good. 56 strikeouts, second most on the team. I mean, 
This is what you expect. Their pitching hasn't been good either. Andrew Benintendi, who Ian thought would be really great, uh, has only had 52 plate appearances because he's been out for the season for rib injury, and he's been batting, and he bat 103 with a 442 uh, OPS, so not great. Um, and yeah, I mean, not a single pitcher who has more than seven innings and has an ERA of 3.25 or under. That's pretty bad, um, considering, you know, how good their pitching was last year. But who am I kidding? The last place team, last in the AL West, last in the American League with a run differential of negative 79 are the Texas Rangers, who I thought would sneak in, actually be a very decent team in the American League playoff hunt and in the American League West. I was dead wrong. I thought Globe Life Field would provide some spark for them. Nope. They are 19-35. and 35. They have the fourth worst ERA in the American League, fourth fewest strikeouts. Their offense, though, it's been their offense. It has been ridiculously bad. Um, they have a 213 batting average as the worst in the American League, 281 on base percentage. 355 slugging, 637 OPS, 639 total bases, only 54 home runs, only 201 runs scored, and only 383 hits. Those are all worst in the American League. And they're also third worst in doubles and walks and stolen bases. And they're third best in stolen bases, which is kind of surprising. But uh, not great. Not great at all. Um, They traded Todd Frazier and Robinson Torino to the Mets. Uh, They traded Mike Minor to the A's. They've, I'll give you a prime example. Joey Gallo usually doesn't do well anyway in his batting average, but his OPS has been ridiculously bad also. He's had 208 plate appearances, uh, 175 batting average, and the 688 OPS. Only 10 homers, 25 RBIs, 76 strikeouts. Not really a great year. Ruth Nebador, 132 plate appearances, a 161 batting average, uh, 592 OPS. Eight homers, 24 RBIs. Again, not great. Uh, And Elvis Andrews, 194 batting average, 582 OPS. So three of their starting players have a batting average of under 200. That is very, very bad. Three of their top starting players. Uh, And when Jeff Mathis is your starting catcher, I mean, there you go. What do you expect? Um, I would say Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has been good. Uh, 289, 350, 335, 386, 721. That's a good slash line. Uh, Jesse Chavez has been pretty bad on the pitching front. He was so great last year. Nick Goody, awful this year as a two-whip. Um, Ian Gibo also bad. Colby Allard, pretty bad. Uh, I would say Lance Lynn's been great. He has been the one bright spot for the team. 12 games started, 78 and a third innings pitched, 22 earned runs, 253 ERA, 84 strikeouts, under one whip. Um, and Rafael Montero has been pretty good in the closer role, eight for eight and saves under, uh, four ERA, pretty good. Um, and yeah, I'm going to eat crow on this one. Uh, Corey Kluber was, um, you know, I thought he would be great and really push them forward. He pitched one inning, gave up a walk, struck out one and was put on the 45 day IL with a grade two muscle tear in his right shoulder one year after having a broken forearm. So, um, yeah, he was out for the season, and they struggled as a result. Uh, great performances from Jimmy Herget, Joely Rodriguez, and Brett Martin, and Jonathan Hernandez, but 
as I said earlier, I mean, Jordan Lyles was bad. Shinsu Chu was bad. They really, really had a bad year, especially in their uh, batting. Five guys in the starting lineup with a batting average of under 200. Only two guys with an OPS over 700. Nobody's over 800. Um, so, yeah, Texas Rangers, really, really bad this year. So, yeah, I'll just give you it, it again. Um, the In the AL East... The order goes the Rays, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Red Sox in the AL Central, the White Sox, the Twins, the Indians, the Tigers, the Royals, and in the West, the Athletics, the Astros, the Mariners, the Angels, the Rangers. And right now holding on to playoff spots are the Rays, the Yankees, the White Sox, the Twins, the A's, and then the Blue Jays, Indians, and the Astros. So yeah, those are the predictions. Those are how they panned out. I want to thank you for listening, and we will be right back with our closer. This has been Hindsight Sports, where hindsight is twenty twenty, and once you're wrong, you'll be wrong forever. And welcome back, listeners. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this show. I really want to thank Ian Decker, our guest, for providing a ray of sunshine in the predictions. And I want to thank everybody for giving the show a chance. I want to thank you for just trying it out, seeing if it works for you. If it doesn't, that's fine. If it does, we'll be happy to have you back in future installments. But that's going to do it for our show. I'm going to start a segment to end our show that I will be doing in the future. In every episode, I will be reading a poem to close out the show from one of my favorite authors, from one of my favorite poets. And today's selection is from Billy Collins, a former poet laureate. This selection is called The First Night. I couldn't think of a better option for the first show than The First Night. I want to thank you all for listening. You can follow us at gold stan podcast on twitter that is gold stan podcast on twitter you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash the gold standard podcast you can follow us on instagram at the gold standard podcast or if you want to send an email have some suggestions email us at the gold standard PC at gmail.com. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for giving us a chance. Thank you for being a part of this. And without further ado, I give you The First Night by Billy Collins. The worst thing about death must be the first night. Jose Ramon Jimenez. Before I opened you, Jimenez, 
It never occurred to me that day and night would continue to circle each other in the ring of death. But now you have me wondering if there will also be a sun and a moon, and will the dead gather to watch them rise and set, then repair, each soul alone, to some ghastly equivalent of a bed, or will the first night be the only night, a long darkness for which we have no other name, how feeble our vocabulary in the face of death, how impossible to write it down. This is where language will stop, the horse we have ridden all our lives rearing up at the edge of a dizzying cliff, the word that was in the beginning and the word that was made flesh, those and all the other words will cease. Even now, reading you on this trellised porch, how can I describe a sun that will shine after death? But it is enough to frighten me into paying more attention to the world's day, moon, to sunlight bright on water or fragmented in a grove of trees, and to look more closely here at these small leaves, these sentinel thorns, whose employment it is to guard the rose. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great day, or a great night, or whatever time you're listening to this. And I hope to see you back on the gold standard real soon.